just want to say welcome today. Uh, if you're new here, I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at The Vine. It's a pleasure to open God's Word with you like we do every week. And we are in our three-week vision series that we do every single year just to kind of reorient, to remind, like, what are we all about as a church? And we kind of talk about these three words that you'll see in the wall, gospel, community, mission, quite a bit. And week one was the gospel uh, week two was last week, and we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. And then today we're going to be in John chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. We're going to be looking at John chapter 10, starting in verse 14. And Naomi's going to come and read for us. John chapter 10, it's the fourth gospel, fourth book in the New Testament. John 10, starting in verse 14. me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us come underneath the beauty and the authority of your word given to us as a gift for our blessing that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so may you stir that in us this morning by the power of your spirit working through your word. May you humble us. May you help us. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Help me as I speak, Lord, that it may be uh, from you and full of grace and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at this section in John chapter 10 for the sake of talking about what does it have to do with us being on mission to see people that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus, okay? But before we talk about this, we always want to read our Bibles in context. We always want to know, like, what's the surrounding words around any text that we're looking at? And so if you look back, you can scroll back or look back if you have a paper Bible to chapter 9. And I just want to tell you very briefly the story of what happens in chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus uh, comes up to a man who's been blind from birth. And he heals him. And this causes quite a stir for good or for Bad. There's some people that are intrigued by this. There's some people that hate this. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were called Pharisees. They believed that if you were born with some type of deformity, some type of ailment, some type of challenge, like blindness, that that meant that you must have sinned. And God was showing that he was displeased with you by cursing you with this problem that you have physically. And we see this, that this teaching had even crept into Jesus' followers. You look at at, at chapter 9, starting in verse 2, and they, they see this guy blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, so it could have been your parents that screwed up, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned. So he just blows that out of the water right off the bat. Sin is an issue with this guy. It's not, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but here's why. Here's why this guy was born blind. 
that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did you catch that? Let's say this guy was 35 years old. He's been blind from birth and it wasn't random. It wasn't like God was like, oh, I, man, I, I wish he wasn't blind. But there's nothing I could do about it. No, this text says that God had a purpose. He says, it says for, they ask him, why was he born blind? They just assume it's sin. He says, it's not about sin, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This guy endured, let's just say, 30 years of blindness. Why? So that God could get glory from this healing. His suffering had a purpose. His suffering was not random. It had a purpose. This guy spent 30 years being blind so that he could step in at this moment, at this time in history, and God was going to do something amazing through his suffering. And he would get the joy of being able to participate in that. So this isn't the point of the sermon, but don't ever believe for a second that your suffering is purposeless. It's not. It's not. We may not see it. We might not even see it until new heavens and new earth. But your suffering has a purpose. And God has not left you. And he is with you. And he's for you if you are in Christ. So, so Jesus heals this guy. Back to chapter 9. Jesus heals this guy. And by that, Jesus shows that he's the real deal. You can trust my words. Check out how my deeds confirm my words. But the Pharisees, instead of, as you would think, man, this guy opened the eyes of a blind man. He must be the real deal. We should fall down and worship him as God. That's not what they do. And in fact, instead of softening their hearts, it hardens their hearts. Because why? Because Jesus all of a sudden now is a threat. And they had positions of power and of wealth and authority. And they didn't want anybody messing with that. And they saw a lot of people really being captivated by Jesus. And especially if he's doing these miracles, more and more are going to be captivated by him. And they're like, no, 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 we're not having it. We're not having it. They hated Jesus because they felt threatened by him. So they resisted and they resisted and they resisted. So that's the backdrop of what Jesus says now in chapter 10. Okay? We turn to chapter 10 and Jesus having just experienced the resistance over and over again of the Pharisees, he now talks to the Pharisees. And he's addressing their hard hearts. And typically when, when Jesus speaks with, with people that have really hard hearts, what happens is he doesn't just come out and say it. Like A plus B equals C, thus you're going to have to deal with C. No, he gives them a picture. He gives them a metaphor. He gives them an illustration. And so this illustration that he used, as a good teacher does, he draws on their context. And in, in, a, in a context that knew a lot about farming, agriculture, and animals, he talks about shepherding. And he says, guys, here's kind of the deal. Pharisees with hard hearts, you're my audience. And here's what it's like. It's like I'm a shepherd, and any shepherd has sheep, right? You guys have seen this. And those who listen to my words... And trust my words and my works, they show that they trust by, by being my sheep. But you guys, you have hard hearts and you don't believe. And you know why? You know why you don't believe? 
It's because God hasn't made you one of my sheep. God hasn't made you one of my sheep. You'll see on the screen here, or you can look at it in your Bible, chapter 10, verse 25. He says, Jesus answered them. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Meaning, the works that I do should show that I'm the real deal. Verse 26, check it out. But you do not believe. Why? Because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Look again at 26. It's very important. But you do not believe. Why? Because you are not part of my flock. Now, Jesus here is teaching what theologians call the doctrine of predestination. Okay? It's very clear. Other words that maybe you've heard are uh, the doctrine of election or God's sovereignty and salvation. Uh, You may have heard the word Calvinism. I would rather call it Jesusism because it's simply what Jesus taught in the scriptures. And here's a prime example. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice the logic of this verse that points to predestination. That God, what that means is this. God is the first active agent in anyone becoming a Christian. God is the first active agent in anyone becoming a Christian. Christian, Look at verse 26. What does it say? He doesn't say this. He doesn't say this. You are not my sheep because you don't believe. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. So you've got to become a sheep before you believe. See, we think the order should be something like this. See if you can track with this. What it feels like is this. If I believe in Jesus of my own autonomous, self-determining free will that we think we have, then I'm going to become, Je- become a Jesus follower just all on my own. There's nothing else happening other than maybe I sit in some room and some guy gets up and, or, and, and, and preaches the gospel. And I sit there and I consider it and I go, yeah, I think I am a sinner. Yeah, I do believe that Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, I do believe that he rose from the dead. Yeah, I do want to trust and follow him. And then I, and there's an invitation to come forward and, and sign a card. And you get up and you, and you do it. And he's like, man, I did that all on my own. Man, praise, I guess sort of praise me because I did that. Is that what it's like? Well, that's what it feels like. But here's the deal. All of our feelings need to be interpreted through the lens of Scripture. Okay? Maybe there's something deeper going on that the Bible wants to show us. Maybe there's something deeper in in the decrees of God for all time and eternity beyond just my sensory perception of things in my human experience, in my brain, in my physical body. Are you with me? Our experience has to be interpreted through the lens of Scripture. What does the Bible say about my feelings? See, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that what we experience in terms of how it feels isn't the whole story in terms of what is going on. He says God makes someone a sheep first, and then they come to believe. See that in the text, verse 26? He says to them, you know why you're not believing in me right now, Pharisees? 
you aren't believing because you've not been made a sheep. Another way to say it might be, once God gives you a heart to want to believe, then you will believe and become one of my followers. Once you become a sheep, then you will believe. It's not the other way around. We think just because our experience feels this way, again, let Scripture interpret your experience. We think it's believe first and then become a sheep. It's not. We think it's like, oh, I heard the gospel message as I was in that room and, 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 and I experienced the, the, the gospel word coming into my ears. I processed it in my brain all on my own. And then I stood up and I walked the aisle and I signed the card and said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. What Jesus is saying is you became a Christian while you were still sitting in your seat. And because you wanted to get up and walk the aisle is because God did a prior work in your heart to make you want to do that, to make you want to walk that aisle, to open your heart and have your eyes, the scales fall from your eyes and go, yes, Jesus is what I want. For that to come out of your mouth, there has to be a prior work in your heart. Jesus says it's just like that. You become my sheep and then you follow me. And the Bible teaches this very clearly in other parts. Let's just look at some examples from the book of Acts. Acts 13.48 says this. And when the Gentiles heard this, so the Gentiles, that's just code word for unbelievers in this context, okay? So unbelievers heard this, meaning uh, sharing of the gospel. So when, when unbelievers heard the sharing of the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many who were appointed to eternal life believed. Okay, so what's the logic here? If you believe, is it because of your autonomous, self-determining uh, freedom of your will to do whatever you want? That's not what the Bible says. It might feel that way. But again, we're going to let the Bible interpret our experience. What the Bible says is anybody who believed is because they were appointed, right? There's first was an appointing. And as many as, who, and as, many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So if you believe, it's because something happened prior. God worked prior. We love because he first loved us. Maybe you've heard that scripture. Why do you love God? Well, because he chose to love you first. Let's look at another act, uh, uh, section from Acts. This is a story of a woman named uh, Lydia who got converted. And this is just a short snippet of that story from Acts chapter 16. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper, a worshiper, of, a worshiper of God. And what happened to her? Let's check it out. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So why did she respond to Paul's message? I mean, she's like that. Maybe she was at, uh, imagine her at uh, a Billy Graham crusade. And Billy Graham gets up and he preaches the gospel and she responds, says yes to Jesus. This just says that if she responded, it's because God did a prior work. God was the first um, acting agent in her becoming a Christian. God opened her heart. God opened her heart to believe. That's what it says. The Lord opened her heart, thus she responded. It wasn't that she respond, her responded and then she got an open heart. See how that works? No, God opened her heart, and then she thus responded. So response is important. Response is necessary. But the response just shows that something else is happening. The Bible, even if you don't feel it, if you don't, even if you don't feel it, that's okay. 
We're just going to let the Bible interpret our feelings. So if you get up and walk the aisle and sign the card, it's because God opened your heart to do that. And so then guess what? He gets the glory. So here's the point. God chooses, and if you're chosen, then you will believe. Whether we know it or not, whether you feel it or not, God's sovereign choice, Bible says so, stands behind anyone believing. Now here's a question, real, real clear application. Can our collective pride handle this level of humbling? Like if you're a Christian today, think about it. How did you become a Christian? Is it because you figured it out? Is it because you're just theologically smarter than the poor guy down the street who just probably doesn't have a Christian intellect like you do? Is that what we want to say? I don't think that's what we want to say. No, the Bible says that if you become a Christian, Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead means dead. And you were by nature an object of wrath. That's all you did. All all that we did was what was natural to us was to swing one way, away from the Lord. By nature, an object of wrath. By nature, deserving of God's wrath. That was my nature. That was my default setting. Ephesians chapter 2, you can read it. But God, verse 5, because he was rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you've been saved. So it's not 99% grace and 1% of your autonomous self-determining free will. That's not what it says. It says you were dead, 100% dead in trespasses and sin, and God made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace. It's all of grace. You don't get 1% to be proud of. You didn't contribute 1% and bring that to the table. And God, check out my 1%. Look how free my will is and how awesome my self-determining free will is, God. Aren't you impressed with my choosing? It's like, God's not impressed. It's like, no, you were dead. Any choice that you make is because I, I chose you. Salvation is truly a gift, just like the Bible says it is, so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You got nothing to boast in. It's not because you're smarter. It's not because you're luckier. It's not because God thinks you're prettier. You're a Christian because God chose you to be Christian. God chose you to be a sheep. So now I know I'm making a lot of you nervous. You know, we don't wave a Calvinism flag at the vine, okay? We just want to teach the Bible. And this is what the Bible says. And the question always comes, and we, we jump to philosophy. We don't jump to the Bible. And that's one of the big dangers with this discussion of predestination is all of these philosophical objections come to the surface. But we always want to say, like, can our philosophical objections submit to the authority of Scripture? That's, that's, that's something to keep in mind. But philosophically, we always wonder, what if I'm not chosen? And then all this stress and worry and like, well, what about this? And what about this? And that doesn't make sense. And that's not how I feel. And da, 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 all this madness can, 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 can emerge. What if I'm not chosen? Well, the Bible never presents the issue like that. As, as, as if hearing the doctrine of predestination should lead us to stress and anxiety. In fact, quite the opposite. When the Bible presents the doctrine of predestination, it presents it as a, as a comfort. As a comfort. Like, 
Jesus has got you, and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. He's got you. Like you are secure. Before the foundation of the world, he set his affection on you. Apart from anything you've ever done, that should blow you away and humble you. No theological arrogance should be anywhere near those that understand these things biblically. The doctrine of predestination is shown as a comfort, not as a means to worry. So if worry is on your brain right now, all you got to do is just make it real simple, real simple. Ask yourself this question. Not, the question is not, am I chosen? Because ultimately, the only way to know that is to answer this question. Do I love and trust Jesus right now? When I hear the gospel message, what does my heart do right now? Does my heart go, yeah, yeah, I need that. Of course I need that. Yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know Jesus died for my sins. Yes, I know he was raised to life so that I could be made right with God and experience new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I recognize I need all that. If, if the answer to that is no, I don't know if I need that. I'm not sure, or no, I know for sure I'm not. Then we would just say right now, well, then consider it. Consider it. Would you like to have it? Jesus says that if you're willing to come, he will never turn you away. The question is, are you willing to come? Are you willing to come? Have you been willing to come? And if you're willing to come, then there's nothing to worry about. But if you're not willing to come, the Bible just says that the wrath of God remains on you. But it doesn't have to be that way. Turn to the truth today. And today can be the day of salvation. So again, are you willing to come? And if yes, then no worries allowed. You're his. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. If you've said yes to Jesus, all that means is that then we turn to the Bible and let the Bible interpret our experience. So let the Bible explain how you became a Christian. If you've said yes to Jesus, the Bible just says clearly it's because he first said yes to you. Look at what John 6.44 says. It's just John, again, talking to Pharisees that don't like his theology. And he says, you know what? Here's the deal, guys. The reason why you're not coming is this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So why do people come to Jesus? It's because first they're drawn by, by him, by the Father. No one comes unless there's a prior drawing. No one comes to Jesus unless there's prior activity on the part of the Father. And then there's that assurance. And I will, I will keep him till the end. No one can snatch him out of my hand. He will be raised up. She will be raised up on the last day. See how, it's, how that's meant as a comfort? If God started it, he'll finish it. The author and perfecter of our faith. It's a massive comfort. So why this big theological lesson about the doctrine of predestination? What the heck does that have to do with mission? Right? At the Vine, you know, this doctrine has been very controversial. You know, I spent probably three years as an undergrad student in my 20s getting in arguments about this. And that was very foolish. And we don't need to do that at the Vine, okay? If you have questions, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk. It'd be great. Bible's open. Let's talk. 
we welcome that. Um, theologically, uh, historically, this has been kind of a hornet's nest, but it doesn't have to be that way at all. But like I already said, the doctrine of predestination is a massive comfort for believers. That's how the Bible presents it for the most part. And in addition, as massive fuel for mission. As fuel for mission. As a church. That's why I'm bringing these things up in our vision series. Where does the fuel for mission come from? How do we sustain it? How can we overcome fear and passivity and doubt? And I think that what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 10 is that fuel that drives our missional car as a church. See, see, some people think this. I had this conversation with a guy uh, a few years ago here at the Vine. That if God is going to save people and, and he chooses, he does the choosing, then let him just go for it. And what do we have to do? We don't have anything to do. Nothing. Let's just gather as a church, believe the gospel, gather as a community, and God will just take care of that third poster over there. Right? And, and it's true that God will take care of the mission part, and he is taking care of it, and his plan is to take care, his plan to take care of it involves us. His plan to take care of it involves us. That's always been the plan. Just because God is sovereign over salvation and chooses whom he will to come to him doesn't mean that we don't play a part. All right? You got, we got to hear that clearly. Like when you read your Bible, what do you see? If you consider maybe reading the book of Acts, the history of the early church, those first people that were converted by Jesus, indwelled with the Holy Spirit, did the indwelling of the Holy Spirit cause them to lay in bed all day and never open their mouths about Jesus because God's sovereign and he's got it. No, that's not what you see. You see massive boldness. You see huge passion. You see a fire that, that literally has turned the world upside down 2,000 years later and is continuing to happen. They know about the cross and the empty tomb and they know that God is sovereign and, and he will call people to believe how? Through their sharing. See, see, God's tactic to see his sovereign purpose in election come about oftentimes is us, okay? God ordains that someone becomes a Christian and he can also ordain that person that tells this person about Jesus so that they become a Christian. You feel that? He can ordain the fact that something will happen and the means by which that happens as well. Does that make sense? I know it's a little philosophical. He can ordain the fact and the means to achieve that fact. When we share our faith, it is the means by which God uses to call people to himself and raise the spiritually dead. So your part is still important, even if it's not ultimate. Make sense? Our part to be on mission among neighbors and nations, to share our faith, to open our mouth, is just part of the sovereign plan. And you don't even know necessarily what's going on in the eternal throne room of heaven and the decrees of God from before the foundation of the world. That's never been your job to know those things. I'm getting ahead of myself. But it is your job to be faithful. So let's go back to the text. Chapter 10, verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. All right, look at, look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So this is a metaphor. And Jesus is talking to Jewish people. And he's talking about the fold, the sheep fold of Jewish people. Historically, that's who he's talking to here. And the Jews historically were God's sovereignly elected people. And Jesus is just saying that there's some people from the Jewish people that are his sheep. Clearly the Pharisees are not. But verse 16 comes in and Jesus says, I have other sheep that are from a different sheep gathering herd fold type of thing, right? Meaning there are other followers out there in the world that are not part of Jewish heritage. That's just what he's saying here. And notice the language. He says, I must bring them in. And they will hopefully listen to my voice. Is that what it says? No, it says they will listen to my voice. See the logic again here? Jesus is saying there's other sheep out there that are not yet followers. They haven't heard the gospel message yet. But he's saying they will. They will listen. They will become followers of me because they are mine. I know them. And they know me. Not, I hope they will become followers of me and become mine by believing. No, he's saying they are already mine. They just don't know it yet. And they are just waiting to hear the voice of the shepherd, the gospel message. And when they hear the voice of the shepherd, they follow me. Isn't that amazing, the confidence of Jesus here? He's saying that the people out there are already chosen and they're just waiting to hear the gospel, and then they will show that they've been chosen by God because of how they respond to him in repentance and faith. Those people who are not Jews, never heard yet, other nations around the world, they will listen to my voice. Not I hope they'll listen. Not if I just present the gospel perfectly, the bridge illustration on that napkin, and I draw the picture perfectly, then checkmate into the kingdom. It's not how it works. It's not how it necessarily works. If I just do it perfectly, they might be convinced. No. He says they will listen. They will be saved because they're mine. And what does he say? I have been given them by the Father. Again, jump down to verse 25 of chapter 10. Same theme. Jesus answered them, Pharisees, hard hearts. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, why? Because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. There's that security, there's that comfort. No one can touch you. Verse 29, check it out. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Look at 29. My Father who has given them to me. Jesus is talking about people that don't even believe yet. People that haven't been anywhere near the Jewish nation. 
Another way to say it might be the Father has appointed that they would come to me, just like we saw in the book of Acts. He said, and there's people out there chosen by God. They've been, they've been given to Jesus by the Father. It's a done deal. They're just waiting to hear the shepherd's voice. And where does the shepherd's voice come? Primarily, if you read the book of Acts and see how the gospels continue in history, the shepherd's voice comes through the church. The shepherd's voice is the disciples on fire for Jesus, planting churches like crazy, sharing the gospel like crazy. And guess what happens? Jesus' promise comes true. People get converted. Sheep hear his voice. And they come in from all these nations. That's the mission of the church. The predestining love of God is the fuel of mission in the world today. The promise that he will save. He will save. There are people that just have been chosen by God that are just waiting to hear. And they will rise from being spiritually dead and come to him. So what does this mean for us as we go on mission in our, in our, na- our neighborhoods, as we plant churches, Redeemer City Church, Eastside Church, God willing, may there be more and more and more so that there is a church in a one, every one mile radius in the city of Madison to see a community that loves Jesus on fire for him in close proximity. Man, Lord, may it be so. And may it happen in these nations that where we're focused in Ecuador, in, 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 in North Africa, What does that mean as we go out on mission? What it means is this, go with confidence. Go with confidence. Go with confidence. God has people out there who are just waiting to be told about him. And they will believe because God promised that there's people just waiting to hear. There's there's other sheep. There's other sheep not of this fold in Madison. Go and tell them. Take the pressure off. Take the pressure off. It's not all about your perfect gospel presentation. As important as being thoughtful about that is. You having the slickest presentation isn't going to checkmate anybody into the, into the kingdom. That's not how it works. It's not all up to you. It's not about the perfect opportunity. Just go for it. Like a lot of us wait for this perfect opportunity when all the planets evangelistically align. And then, all right, here we go. It's never going to be like that. It's never going to be like that. It's always going to feel awkward. Just go for it. You have no idea what God will use in the life of that person. And it's not all about having the right. A lot of us get paralyzed in sharing our faith because we feel like we can't answer all the questions. I feel that. I get paid to to study the Bible. I don't have all the answers. I confront that in myself all the time. I can't give you the perfect answer that you're looking for right now. Man, I'm sorry. Let's keep talking. Many people are drawn by God to himself through a long period of time. And so sometimes it's just, it's going to be two years of asking questions. Just get the ball rolling. Maybe your part is just to have one conversation. There's going to be another conversation a week later, another conversation a month later. And you're just part of the chain that God is using to draw this person to himself. So just go for it. Just go for it. You got nothing to fear, nothing to be ashamed of. It's not all about perfect sharing or the perfect planets aligning opportunity, the perfect presentation where it's all mapped out. It's all the slick answers to all the questions, checkmate. No, that's just never how it is. But it is about this. It's about faithfulness. Just being willing to open your mouth. Here's what I know. 
here's what's happened to me. Here's what's happened in history beyond my experience. Here's just the facts of history. This guy named Jesus. He came to save us from our sins. He showed up on this planet and he's risen from the dead as a fact of history. And on that basis alone, you should trust him. And you have the opportunity to experience something greater than yourself. Don't we just get sick of ourselves? You know what I mean? You know why there's so much depression and anxiety in our culture today? It's because we stare at ourselves all day long and social media is just making it worse. So quit looking at your screen and look to Jesus. And and guess what will happen? You will catch a glimpse of his glory. And it's not going to make all your problems go away, but there will be a deep-seated joy as you engage with the gospel in community and giving your your life to something greater than yourself that's going to make you come alive over the course of time. That is amazing. Knowing your sins can be forgiven and that you have purpose in life where you've never felt so small in light of the greatness of God and you've never felt so alive. Man, that, that's, don't you want that? Don't you want that? A lot of people are going to say yes to that. It doesn't have to be like what I just articulated. Do it however you want. But there are people in Madison among these nations where we're going all the time that are going to say yes to that. God is drawing them to himself, and he's ordained that that would happen. He's also ordained that you would open your mouth and tell them, and that's the means by which they become Christians. So go for it with confidence. Go for it with confidence. God is at work. He has people that are his. So tell them. They're just waiting for you to tell them. And you don't know who those people are, and it's not your job to know. And God never promised that you would know. That's not, that's not, that's not, it's not like you can like have some Holy Spirit sense, oh, this person, yep, now I'm going to share my faith. No, you have no idea. Your only job is to just be a sower, is cast a seed, and God is the one that causes the growth. The church, our job is this, cast a seed, cast a seed, just put it out there. And some's going to take root, some's going to be taken away, some's going to have the cares of the world come in and squash it out, and some is going to go deep and it's going to produce fruit. It's going to blow your mind with how much fruit is born. So just cast a seed. Cast a seed. Cast a seed. Isn't it amazing that God invites us to participate in in his eternal decrees before the foundation of the world? Have you ever thought about that? Ephesians chapter 1, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And as you open your mouth and share the gospel, and maybe it's one in a hundred times where God is pleased to raise someone spiritually from the dead, you get to participate in that. That's amazing. That is amazing. So so Vine family, let's, let's view that as a privilege that we go into on mission with confidence and call, that, may that cause our hearts to stir with worship and love as we just keep doing it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you for your word. And Lord, may you bring to pass these things that we have considered today. We just ask, Lord, that you would. Lord, we ask that you would change hearts in Madison. That we would continue to see churches planted that that are overflowing with people that have a story to tell. Say, God changed my heart. God changed my heart. I love him. May our churches just be filled with that.
May you help us to just plant churches that are filled with people with those stories. Lord, may you do it. We ask that you would do it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Jesus is our shepherd, and he, his voice is calling us this morning to his table. And so we come, and we partake of symbols.